0: Please listen carefully. My body is very 30 today where I slept wrong and now my arm hurts <music> What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister, the podcast where we discuss super relevant and important commentary on the state of media in the 21st century, but also have an episode (laughs) called Shadow and Boners. I'm Christina. I'm Natasha.
1: And I'm Stephanie.
0: And yes, I did write out that intro because I was like, how do I properly encapsulate the fact that we have an episode called Viewer Discretion is Advised and it has the eggplant emoji in it? Um... While also the fact that we have this episode about the female gaze where we want to talk a little bit about the differences between the female gaze and the male gaze and things that we think really work well under it. So this is going to be a little bit more like our silencing of the shrew episode, hopefully, and not as similar as our, oh, what? I don't even remember what the episode was about anymore, but me and Nat yelling at each other about Paddington Bear and Mamma Mia. But as I mentioned today, we are going to be talking about the female gays. And that's G-A-Z-E, which you probably got from the title. Uh, and not about the lesbians. Although, you know, obviously also <sighs> Although it can also, also be here.
2: about the lesbians.
0: It, yeah, it's like, you know, not all female gays are going to be under the female gays. But you know what I'm saying? It could go the other way around. So uh, one thing that I, I think is cool to talk about is that when I was looking up stuff for this episode... When I initially think of the female gaze, the example that always comes to mind for me is actually um, Hugh Jackman in like 2012, whatever, he did two magazine covers and one of them was for Men's Health and he, it's his Wolverine thing, he's fucking shredded. It's one of those situations where you know he had like the saran wrap around him and was like not drinking water so he could dehydrate entirely so all of his skin would stick to his abs and his ribs so he would look super fucking buff um and he had his wolverine hair and that was his cover of men's health where he's just looking super fucking jacked and then he did a cover of good housekeeping where he is in <laughs> a very soft cashmere blue crew neck sweater straight from j crew He is like standing with his hands on his hips, like your fucking boy next door, neighbor, Christian husband vibe. His hair is in the most Mormon I've ever seen it. It's like slicked back to the side, very tame. And I always think that one, as an example of like the female gaze versus the male gaze, is because really what men are attracted to are super jacked, super angry, hyper-masculine, quote-unquote, alpha-style men. but re- And then they complain, like, oh, that's what women want. But then when women create things for women, men just look like nice dudes that would, like, <laughs> cook a meal for you and, like, listen to what you have to say. <laughs> and so I always think of that as, like, the peak example. But there was some really interesting stuff looking up about, like, different ways to interpret the female gaze, which I thought was really interesting I was looking this up. And I think you found something now that had like points of what counts under a female gaze. Yeah,
2: so like I guess like because it's like technically I'm using air quotes here, like a critical theory of like film or whatever.
1: I didn't study film. I don't know. I had to. I Google read that. It. I read that article. <laughs> I think it's like something Mulvey. Yeah, in, yeah, Melvin, in my yeah. film in my film class.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, and it's like there's apparently like three points to mm-hmm. female gaze that you need to consider. There's the um the filming itself, like the the view of the, the director, the view of the director. There's the view of the audience, obviously, and then there's the characters themselves. Um, and so, like, I don't know, because I clearly didn't study this, whether you need to have all three of them be very specifically female. Is it one or the other? Is it two out of three?
1: Like, what is this? Is this, like, a scale? Like, I don't think so, because technically you can have a female director who's doing a male gaze situation. Yeah. So maybe it just hits on one of the points.
2: Yeah. It's just, yeah, like, it's just, like, a very interesting... Like, and, like, I've seen, like, so many different versions of it because, like, like, it's even, like, it feels like part of it can flip certain narratives that you normally would get from male gaze as well. Like, a like, a complete opposite. And, like, I, I will talk about that later. But, um, yeah, like, it's just, like, it's a very, like, it feels like a very expansive, like, theory, I guess. But, like... honestly even though it's like mostly film you can see it i find that you probably find it more in books because more accessible obviously for women ironically (laughs) but like yeah like more accessible so you definitely see female guys a lot more in books for sure so i felt like there was like a lot to choose from in terms of this topic in
0: books um but yeah it's just
1: every romance novel ever published (laughs) Truly.
0: (laughs) And I think it like when you're taking it outside of the like film critical theory concept and more to something like more accessible to understand, I think it almost becomes one of those things where it's like, you know, when you see it, like you can tell when something feel like you can absolutely tell when you're reading something and if the main character is supposed to be a woman and you're like, no, but a woman didn't write this. And then you go back and you read something else and you're like, okay, I'm pretty confident that it's not a man that wrote this book. Like you can feel it. And I think there's probably an element of that there as well of like, you just sometimes you just know stuff when you see it. And one of the, I, so in that research, one of the most interesting things I found about um, the female gaze was the idea that in its antithesis to the male gaze, it could be just as simple as because a woman has written the story or is directing it all of the other players in the movie are full people with their own lives and they're not just there to serve the main character yeah. whether the main character is a woman, a man or trans character or anything else um because there's just more of an understanding like the people around you are real fucking people. They have stuff going on. And I thought that was a really interesting. Uh, interpretation
2: I mean like of that. I feel like it also makes sense because as as a person or types of people in society that are often overlooked not just in fiction but in real life it makes sense that they would make things fuller in in fiction too to because like they recognize right like even even white
0: women (laughs) to yeah to a certain extent yes yes. to a certain extent Up until a level, but it's a very small level. The sliding I mean, scale you, doesn't go very far. You heard
2: my hesitation as I said it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but I think talking about that, uh, let's get started. Steph, do you want to talk about your pick for something from The Female Gaze?
1: Sure do. I was going to say, when you talked about your photo shoot with Hugh Jackman, I thought of the Harry Styles Vogue cover no, where he's yes. dressed in like very beautiful dresses 100%. and people losing their minds over it. Yeah. Both negative and positive, but, yeah. I just, like,
2: I don't love Harry Styles. Enjoyed that picture. (laughs) Enjoyed that photo shoot. I just like what he's
1: doing, you know? Like, he's playing to his number one fans, which is us. You know, like, that whole, like, isn't it, like,
2: a Tumblr thread where it's, like, men who feel like they've been written by women? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That. It's that. This is what it is.
0: (laughs) But, like, I think one thing that's worth mentioning, especially when you're talking about celebrities, is that, like, they have entire teams of stylists and publicists. So, like, to a certain extent, Harry Styles, as a celebrity, very much is likely written by women.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm just just, like, I could, I just think about him (laughs) a lot. Like, is he doing okay? How's his relationship with Olivia Wilde? I think he's doing just fine. Like, yeah, he's
0: doing... Sorry, there was...
2: (laughs) Never mind, I'll bring it up later. Oh, no, no, I'll bring it up now. None of us picked yeah. it, but Booksmart would have been a yeah, great pick for, for this. Booksmart yeah. would have been perfect.
0: Booksmart would have
1: been perfect. I, okay, so I'll go into it. So I was doing research, too, because so I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I know, but I don't know. So Bridgerton came up, but we've already talked about that. Um, What else came up? That, oh, someone was saying, it's like you mentioned, Christina, Virgin Suicides is written by a man, but the movie is by... Directed by a woman, so that changed the whole perspective of that story, which is interesting. Someone said mean girls to a, a certain extent, but ideas like I don't know, but yeah, technically, yeah, that's technically, yeah, mean yeah. girls, pride and prejudice. <laughs> Just that man is not Mr. Darcy, but we're talking about 2005, technically not the most attractive man, <laughs> and but I find him attractive, and we all do, we love that hand anyway. <laughs>
2: I was wondering when the hand would be mentioned. I I think we should make it like, you know, like a little drinking game like how often in a season can can Steph um, bring up Pride and Prejudice and specifically his his, his, his hand doing right. the
0: grip
1: thing. I thought, like that's all over TikTok now and I'm like they my phone heard me. It's it's all fine. Uh what there's else There's a whole
0: community of you. It's true.
1: It's so there's true. just I...
2: like there's just like hand fans out there like Darcy hands. <laughs>
1: There are. I'm just
2: like on the Twitter Darcy hand fans
1: just flexing. Hands it's like up it's like
2: right. the Ray Nicholson Titty Club, but totally different. Oh
0: God! <laughs> <laughs> For um, some reason, it's actually rated higher yes, than the. Plus, It's like more. <laughs> yeah, it's more NC seventeen. <laughs>
1: Uh, and then I thought of, um, so then I was like, maybe there's like some historical stuff because Bridgerton did. So I was like, Sandinton, where they literally pan Theo James' naked body and her watching him. But no, I didn't go with that. And then the other one was Scarlet and the Duke. <laughs> I was like, that's a good one, but I can't remember exactly what happened. She's just a lady detective. But then I, and then I was rewatching Fleabag with my mother. Because mm-hmm. I was mother. like, I think, I think I had to leave, obviously, partially. <laughs> um and i was like i think this is really because i forgot okay hold on so fleabag i'm looking at the synopsis it's wild are you have you both uh watched this yes
2: of course yes of course. Uh, i don't know you never know we literally a, talk about hot priests like
1: oh right
0: right right right
1: okay a dry wooded woman I mean, we
0: is generous
1: a dry wooded woman known as fleabag has no filter as she navigates life and love in london while trying to cope with tragedy the angry, girl grief-riddled woman tries to heal while rejecting anyone who tries to help her, but Fleabag continues to keep up her r- bravado through it all. By Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Based on the stage play that we saw. I forgot we watched that. <laughs> we will all were all together. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. <laughs> so the interesting... So technically, we talked about it's the audience, it's the director looking at the characters, it's the audience looking at the characters and then it's the characters looking at each other but then you have fleabag looking at us the audience which breaks i was like this is just a whole other level um but it's about her i'm i'm gonna say i'm gonna skip the first season because that's kind of sad we'll just go to the second season but like so she's every every argument so i was watching a video and like basically every conversation she has she looks at the camera and talks to you all the time and then someone like put a cut up and like there's like probably 30 cuts in one scene usually of her flipping back and there's all these different camera angles of her looking at the audience trying to talk about what's going on but then when you get to the priest those those cuts magically disappear and there's like six cuts per episode so he slowly breaks her down he's the only one who like as she as she uh finds herself (laughs) and discovers love as she says because as she says this is a love story in the second season um she stops looking at us because she gets confused, or she also stops looking at he. He's like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you looking at there?" And it's all breaking down. And I loved it. And that's all I really have to say because you just need to watch it. But I feel like you have to that watch was it because it's
0: so much stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like you have to watch it because I don't think have you ever seen something that breaks the fourth wall like that in a TV show like consistently. Like every once in a while, it'd be like one. Maybe like one scene, but like something like consistently each episode, she's looking think, at you. I think Daybreak and like... did
2: it recently, but th- that was after Fleabag had already come out.
0: Yeah, I, I will say I do think Fleabag is the only one where it feels like intentional the is a character to yeah. a certain extent. But it's also like um, that
2: that's the point of the show, right? Like the show is yeah. very much like you have to be consistent with how you're interacting with the audience for that one to work. Do yeah, you think, think only women interesting... would
1: understand her looks? I'm thinking of this TikTok. You see that TikTok? I was, I just uh, yeah,
2: hundred percent. Those looks
0: that she yeah. gives and you're just like And then I'm wondering <laughs> like, when like they're really subtle and it's just the difference again of when she does the quick little like glance towards the audience, one thousand percent.
1: And if you don't know the TikTok I'm talking about, it's like a girl, there's so many now, but like a girl gives two looks and she's like only women understand what the difference between these two looks are. And I'm like, I get it. And then I'm thinking of Fleabag. I'm like, yeah, maybe half the audience doesn't know what she exactly means, except for a select few, which is interesting. And I think goes to our point. It's really funny because even like I think about like
2: any sort of interaction I have in public with like friends there, but also people that aren't close friends And when our eyes make contact and there's like a (laughs) look that goes through, we know exactly what we're saying to each other. And then there's just like like it could be like anything and you just know what the look is.
0: And I find it so funny when it happens over Zoom as well. Yeah. you somehow manage to lock eyes with someone virtually because you both know something wild was just said and you can find each other because you know, you know that look was meant for you and you know your look is meant for them. Like it's a whole thing. Um, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting to consider almost kind of like how really wealthy people who watched Parasite thought that it was just like an action thriller movie like the fact that it's Elon Musk's favorite movie because he just, <laughs> just doesn't understand what it's about. If you are someone who watched Fleabag but you didn't grow up as a woman, what do you think Fleabag is about? Like, do you get it on that level? Do you understand the look she's giving you? I also think female gaze, in particular for Fleabag, comes across really well in her relationship with her sister.
1: Mm, because.
0: Yeah. I don't think people who don't have a sister relationship could write a sibling relationship with two women that way. I will it say. It is very... Very accurate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, down to, like, even, like... I'm sure we had those conversations, stuff, like, when she, like, steals her steals sweater. Her, yeah. The,
1: like, the whole, like... It's, like, a whole thing. I can't take and off my like, jacket because I stole the sweater three years ago. <laughs> <And> I'm like... <laughs>
2: Like I just I'm sitting there. I'm enraged for the elder sister because <laughs> I'm the older sister. I'm sitting there. I'm like, what a shithead.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about this in another episode. This is the only part that I don't agree with with Feebag because I could not find him attractive. Because going to Catholic school for twelve years, I cannot find a tri- pe- priest attractive ever. Like I actually don't understand. Like, I get it. Like, when people say it, logically I understand, but viscerally I cannot see it. The whole time she was, like, into him, I was like, you can do better even though you are a mess. (laughs)
2: Also, for those, I mean, like... I'm obviously, and I will have talked about it before. I'm not a fan of normal people, but for those who oh. are, can watch the crossover. Like not episode, it's like a crossover piece for like Red Nose Day, I think, for charity. Um, that they did with Hot Priest and um normal people, where they're in the church, and I believe they sing as well, from what I remember. But it's a it's it's a really good scene. I part, I consider it part of canon for Sleepback. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'd also say she knew when to stop her series. Yeah. I, like, and really like, appreciated that. Yeah. And, like, it takes a lot of guts. I think she's at her height of her critically, <laughs> critically, she just won a an award and she's like, no, it's going to end because it it made sense. She, she, couldn't kept, she couldn't have kept up the looking at the audience, uh, uh, what would you call that? Not device
0: there's also but like i think anytime as well you have a main character who's kind of a mess like i think also of crazy ex-girlfriend which mm-hmm. is also another really good mm-hmm. example for female gaze i'm actually like ooh, maybe i should have picked that oh well um there's something to be said that, like, you just can't keep going on because at yeah. a certain point, there's a breaking point, I think, for the audience where either the person stays a mess and you can't keep watching them do this anymore mm-hmm. or they have to slowly grow. And the point is that they the show doesn't ha- exist anymore. It's going to work. It needs to yeah. be they grow out of what's going on. And I do think that Fleabag season two is a really good sign of that. And I don't think a lot of shows written or directed by men understand that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I totally agree there. Like, even, like, season one felt more, like, cathartic in a sense. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I like obviously, I don't really know Phoebe Waller-Bridge's story, but there's, like, there's an understanding that happens there that you're just like, yeah, I get this. And then with season two, that's obviously the growth phase, and you're just like, damn, she's changing, and I love to see it. But at the same time, there's, like, a moment, like, when you're like, oh, I'm going to miss these looks. <laughs> Like, I'm going to miss this. It's just like, I don't, it's just so good. It's so good. And there's just like, there's something so sweet about season two, too. Like the way that she talks to her family in season two. Like, we're in, whereas in the first season, sometimes I'd be like, what the fuck is she doing? Like, yeah. like, just be sitting there like, why is she like this? And I'm like, you know, it's fine. Grief, whatever. <laughs> like You're just sitting there, you're like
1: raging, but at the same time being like, oh, I get it. It's just, yeah. Well, it's like I was just thinking. I was so I was watching the sex scene with my mother, the like the the final one, season two, and and she was like crocheting, and she she missed it. I'm like, you missed it, and she's like, and I'm and she's like, what happened? I'm like, she put the camera, she pushed the camera away because she doesn't want you to see it. (laughs) I'm like, that's a big deal. And then also, uh, for some reason, Neil, that the final scene, he's like not final scene. I, what would you the climax to them being like Ooh, we both like each other is neil he's like neil and like i'm into that how does that work
0: i, like that scene.
1: I did Could i couldn't tell you why couldn't tell you why
0: it is a good scene
1: exactly and like I know quite a few
2: people it's like very that. similar to the the hand gripping
1: yeah it's not it's not the most romantic thing it's not what you expect but you're like yeah this works it's, for me
2: I will say chemistry between the two of them plus the acting a phenomenal yes. <laughs> like I was like yes. I believe these two are in love like holy yeah. shit
1: <laughs> that's all I gotta say if you haven't watched it I don't know you'll watch this in an afternoon if that
0: maybe yeah, yeah. it's very
1: quick Yeah. That's my pick.
2: My pick is Candyman, um, directed by Nia DaCosta. I have to add that in because Christina was quite mad that I said produced by Jordan Peele that one time.
0: You said from Jordan Peele, and I said, excuse me, this is Nia DaCosta erasure, (laughs) okay? Because you got to bring up both their names. Because a few too many people are forgetting that he's not the one that directed it. He merely made sure it had the money to get me. Okay,
2: so basically... (laughs) Candyman if you don't already know if you've ever watched the originals this is literally a continuation of the original story or the lore behind Candyman in the original which I like like obviously will bring up in, in how this like flips the narrative um, Candy Candyman is about like a white woman it centers on a white woman Helen Lyle who is like a very skeptic grad student that kind of like decides that she's going to study the candy man figure what's his name in the thing todd or something todd right i don't know Whatever. doesn't matter I, I don't remember. the candy man original Candyman. figure she's basically gonna study him and like she's very skeptical about it and then she like calls his name in the mirror and whatever and it's about that story and how she's essentially like her like people around her start dying and she's trying to basically kill the candy man and it's like they talk about the story in the 2021 um movie as well and it's like it's the exact story that you would expect but in that like in the original they do talk about like racism and the projects and all of that as well but what is like really interesting about this 2021 one obviously is that it's flipping that narrative completely where like in the first movie it's it's horrifying it's like a very like not like a not like a classic classic horror movie like there's obviously a monster but it's like there's a lot of like creepy like gross scenes like the bees that sting and all that like there's like a lot of like more like cringy moments in in that horror movie it's not like slasher style it's not like pop-up scare um you barely actually see him in the mirror when you're calling his name but like it's it's very much like still classic horror white woman is victimized black man is the monster and like that i found like very obviously troubling but at the time they were like oh this is like a conversation about like how this because they do go through his history in the original movie where they're like oh he was a black man that like fell in love with a white woman and was victimized and all of that but it was directed by a white man (laughs) And so, like, if you think about it, like, this man, like, was like, oh, yeah, it's very nuanced. And you're like, it's not. It's not. at <laughs> all. Like, it's so simple. And, like, at the time, it was, like, such a big deal because he was, like, what he said was, like, I don't see why we can't have a black man also be one of these classic horror figures. And, like, on the one hand, yeah, I get that. Like, why can't we have that? But at the same time, when all the victims are white, you're just like,
0: <laughs> it's... And also, perhaps you're not the one to make it. Exactly.
2: And so that's why Candyman 2021. I absolutely enjoyed this movie. It wasn't the classic horror that you would expect from Candyman. And I think for a lot of people that are a fan of the Candyman series, because there are like, I think, three movies before this... Damn. Really didn't enjoy that part of it. They saw potential and they didn't enjoy that part of it. But I would disagree. I thought it was still very scary. And, like, what's really key about this is that in in the original movie, the white woman is victimized. And it's supposed to be, like... In, like, I was reading something about it, but, like, essentially, they were saying how, like, Candyman, the original from 1992, is, like, apparently representative of the monstrous feminine, which is, like, another critical film theory thing. (laughs) Once again. Should I whip out
1: my film text? Yes,
2: (laughs) please. Whip it out. (laughs) But, like, it's basically about, like, how they show, like, any sort of, like, there's certain, like, women in, like, historically in film that are seen as, like, the monstrous or whatever but like in in Candyman original it's feminine like power in like sex and like all of that that is viewed as viewed as the monstrous part of that so I thought that was interesting because like they're like oh yeah this is the feminine like it's almost like they're like flipping the narrative down be like this is the feminine gaze in like a patriarchal society or whatever and I'm like it's still directed by a man like I don't understand why this would fall like I get it like I get like a lot of like horror films do this but like I there was just like something felt incorrect about about this and that was just like I don't know then you get Candyman 2021 directed by a black woman who has clearly changed things like the audience the victims aren't well like the victims are mostly white people I will say once again.
0: And most of them are shit. Yeah, all of them are pretty much shitty. Um there were there any black victims? I remember there was one cuz we were like oh uh, cuz I remember us I thinking like, oh, maybe the Candyman actually protects black people, but then there's one Oh, oh, uh the yes, you find out in the past one of the characters, their sister was right taken yes by the yeah Man. which was the strangest one yeah a young black girl so like yes that was the one that was like why
2: so yeah like this this film specifically centers on who you think it centers on is Anthony who's like the main character he's like an artist in Chicago they're living in the these projects are like the same from the original film it's supposed to be what is it called something green something green I can't
0: remember yeah, green greenwood blocks yeah. and like that. It's a gentrified. It's just a gentrified area. Of yeah, a, so basically becoming, that same
2: like yeah. project area from the first film has been gentrified, and this is where they live. And so like this is what's like so key. There's like so many different elements. Again, all like the intersectional elements are in here that you're like, yes, this this woman understands, but what's so key is like he decides to like s- like do his new like painting projects or whatever displays on this area and the legend of the Candyman, which is like like a like a fun like little way to come back to almost like the graduate person studying the Candyman. but this is like somebody with like an actual like potential history that like it comes from like a place of like it understanding your own history essentially and so like what's really cool about this is that it seems like it starts about this one man and that he's like the main perspective that you're supposed to see from. But I would argue it's actually Brianna (laughs) that you're, is the main person in the end, because like when you think, I don't think that's an argument at all. I think that's pretty clear. You think it's okay. Like, it's just like the whole time you're following him around and then you don't really see your perspective. But like at the end, I was just like, no, it's about Brianna. Like it's about, like the main woman. Like this is this is like the main thing where I was just like, oh, it like really flipped it. Spoiler warning, um, it kinda of goes through like there's like different iterations of the candyman, which I really enjoyed. So there's like the original candyman and then they show like other candyman through history and like how they were basically wronged by white people for the most part. You see some of that history in this movie with not the original candyman, but one that happened after that. And like Anthony the the, um, the main artist character that you think is the main character becomes a new iteration of the Candyman. But, like, there's, like, different... Like, there's, like, that one Candyman that obviously attacks that, that black girl. But, like, you really get that each Candyman is doing it for a different reason. You know what I mean? Like, the original Candyman wanted to strike fear into the hearts of the people that lived in those projects. Which is, like, very much a, like an incorrect way of going about it. And I think Nia DaCosta corrected that. (laughs) Like, because, Oh, you mean from the original, from from the the original original film? Like it was, he was trying to strike fear into like those project residents hearts, which I'm like, why, why would he do that? He was wronged by white people. (laughs) And it's just like, and so like, I think Nia DaCosta corrected that. So like, not only are you seeing like the way she's done it, but you're also seeing that, Oh, this isn't really about the man. It's about the woman. And, like, there's, like, a kind of, like, um, it feels like a delayed thing because, obviously, there's police involved at some point. But, like, even at the end, when you have the police come in, there's this, like, like, obviously, it's a very depressing ending, in a sense, because he does become the iteration of the Candyman and Candyman all die. Um, but, like... There's, like, when you're left with Brianna, there's, like, the sense of, like, oh, is this what happens to the people that are left behind? And, like, I I don't know. There was just, like, something really sad about that. And it really sat with me for a long time because, like, that feels more true to real life. Like, you don't really think about what happens to the people left behind after, like, a hate, essentially a hate crime like that occurs because, like, police do protect, like hate basically so it's just like i don't know there was like something something really like poignant poignant about the way she did that one scene and you're just like oh like she like she fought back at
0: the end in her own way but it's like just to put some clarity because maybe i missed this what you're talking about is Anthony eventually turns into the Candyman. Yeah. So like when they. I don't think you mentioned that at all. I literally no, said. No, she did. I did. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> did? Okay. 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 Yeah, I, li- I missed it. And then you said when he does. And I was like, do they know who you're talking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
2: like when Antony dies, because all the candy men have to die, usually in a wrongful death, obviously, um, that she's the one left behind. And like at first you're like, oh shit, something's going to go wrong with her too. But and she fights back in her own way, obviously, that she can't. <laughs> using the Candyman, but it's just like there's like that moment where you're just like the way I, and I didn't think that's this is like all the director like the way that you see her being left behind is like so I don't know there's just like something about it that I thought like was sad obviously it's not scary it's like more sad than anything and then you're just like sitting there like oh <laughs> like this
0: is just Yeah, because I mean, short of, I think one thing to spoil about the ending and to really come through with it is that everything's sort of going along. Antony is slowly turning into the Mm -hmm. Candyman. Things are happening and they're stuck in the projects. And you know that the police are going to arrive at some point because it's set up really early in the movie that the police are constantly patrolling that area to kick anybody out so that they can eventually... Basically, they're going to collapse the projects from the original Candyman. They're going to pop up condos there. Like, that's where you know it was going to happen. So you know police are around. So police eventually come by and they, I think, like, kill Anthony, And it sort of solidifies the final thing. Like, he's now officially fully, completely the Candyman at that point. And she uses him to kill the police that killed him. Mm -hmm. Because they basically try to... I don't know if blackmail is the blackmail is not the right word, but they're basically like, either this was all your fault and you were involved or you saw that your husband was coming at us and we were justified in killing him. They're like trying to use her to
2: justify the killing basically. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Very, very specific that they're trying to get her to lie. So she uses them. I think, but then because she uses Candyman and Anthony will come for her, even as Candyman, he kills all the cops that are there. But this is one thing about the ending that I have so many questions about, because he kills all of them and then a shit ton more come his backup. And there's a very poignant scene where he tells her, like, tell everyone, tell everything. But is he also going to kill all the cops that just arrived? Or is she about to go down for the murder of all of those cops that just got better there? better be That's killing all those cops. Because, yeah, if he doesn't, <laughs> um, she's not going to be able to tell anybody shit. She's going to go to prison. Yeah. It was, it was a whole it's, thing, but I fully agree from a female gaze perspective. Like, I, I think this was a really interesting and one even, and like, also just... Not even just, like, the horror parts. Like, just, like, their
2: regular life from, like, a female... She's, like, mildly successful as, like, an art curator person. Because <laughs> I guess she's just a curator at the beginning. But, like, she, like, she gets the recognition of this, like, other black woman that, like, runs, like, MoMA, doesn't she? Or something? And it was just, like
0: no, but it was so so interesting because there's a really really great scene like yes, she is very successful mm-hmm. she clearly also is more successful than her, her husband, husband is. yes <laughs> yes or her like partner, and that's a point of the movie as well um or yeah partner um but there's this really interesting thing that I, I think is probably also a reflection of like, i'm sure nia da costa's experiences too yeah. where the black woman who run again runs the mom or something like that and wants to bring her on kind of tells her like no, no no it doesn't matter what you want to do if what you want to do is raise yeah. the voices of all these small artists of colors like yeah you can do that but you can do it from the inside instead mm-hmm. if you come work here and you do all this white shit first yeah and it's like very poignant that like to be a black woman in that position of power you have to have made those choices and her basically being told by someone she admires greatly like no but like low-key she doesn't care about those things do you want to turn into her in 20 years and i think it's it's almost like its own yeah like it kind of yeah like that little
2: part actually reminded me of the other black girl um in the like in the sense of like how they become you know. How you become successful as a black woman is to stop being a black being a black yeah, woman. Essentially, yeah. So like it's just like that part definitely I was just like, Oh. And then I was just like, Oh, she like really got that. And I was like, damn, okay. Um, but it was just like like we don't even really find out what she's gonna do with that after, right? Like I'm just like sitting here like, what does she do? <laughs>
0: what does she do now? The idea I get of the, the Brianna that ends the movie mm-hmm. is the Brianna that's not taking that job. Yeah that's that's how she comes across to me she i think at the end of the movie she really came into herself and again i think from a female gaze perspective she doesn't be she's not a part of antony's story antony is a part of her story
2: yeah that's essentially yeah and that's i think exactly that, it.
0: that i was gonna make a couple other points but i'll be honest that wraps it up really neatly. yeah it does it's
2: like that's literally like the whole when i came out of this movie I wasn't even thinking about that like it, like really and it's like definitely like I think about this movie a lot a lot more than I probably <laughs> yeah. need to but like it, after a while I was just like oh this isn't like it's not maybe it was me being slow but I was like oh this isn't really about him it's about her and like it's crazy to me that like a film named after this man the candy man is actually about this woman <laughs> And like that, like I really love that. I love what
0: she did with it. I disagree with every negative review. <laughs> yes, they're all wrong. This movie is so good. If yeah. you didn't like it, you have other problems because, like, even, even the way she shot this thought, film, like it was just like oh so it beautiful. was beautifully done.
2: I was just and I know like okay, so I did read some reviews because I was like obviously like I gotta I gotta see what people are saying, and they were like oh there's so much potential in this film, but it just like it didn't hit
1: the right horror mm-hmm. notes and i'm like i it hate its potential how how congruous.
2: is not like every
0: other thing that they talk about in this film horrifying <laughs> like,
1: was it too subtle for them what, maybe they didn't pick up on it
0: um, i that's what it was because one thing that th- this movie did really well is that when it's portraying particularly horrific types of racial violence yeah. it uses these like paper dolls and and, and like you sort of see oh, someone yeah, the playing the paper dolls oh. to yeah the silhouettes <laughs> to portray that scene and I think that's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous because you don't need to see more yeah. visual representations oh, yeah. of violence I against black appreciated people. Like you that don't need to so see it much, anymore. Yes. And so the paper silhouettes do this great job of being super eerie and super creepy, but not being not like I don't want to say romanticizing, but not like showing you black people being murdered for the sake of the movie i will also say like
2: this film what it does is like it's also technically about storytelling like it's like the way Mm -hmm. it tells stories is so beautifully done and like like the film is obviously telling a story but it's also about the act of storytelling in the way like even like think about like where the movie starts her brother tells them a story about whatever green (laughs) what is it called i need to know the name now
0: but yeah it literally starts off with her brother giving them like a horror bedtime story and then it turns into how the the um, cabrini Antony's green art cabrini green <laughs> and then it talks a story about how like anthony's art and he's trying to explain the story he's trying to tell with his art yeah and it it just goes that way and then like as a curator she also talks about the story she's trying to create it's a whole thing.
1: Very good. Women are just subtle. We've been
0: subtle. talking about this for 25 minutes. You know? It's truly.
1: Yeah. We like, like to read between the lines. <laughs> it's just... Use it's our just brain. Not, it's not
0: even... <laughs> I don't even find it that subtle. <laughs> like... No, I think it's a pretty... I think it's a pretty... Um, Maybe not yeah, subtle I isn't people,
1: the
2: word. I think, I think it's obvious to some people. You know what I mean? Like, I think when yes. I'm reading these reviews from, like, some random geek site on horror, I expect them to be, like, middle-aged white men. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't yep. think something like this is something that would click with them. (laughs) Even like, but that's, there's like, even that that moment with her brother and his white boyfriend where I think one of them says something. And there was like that moment where I was like, Oh, his white boyfriend doesn't understand. (laughs) And like, he gives him that look. I can't remember what it was, but he specifically gives him a look. And I was like, Ooh,
0: yeah. (laughs) There was some, there was some joke about him being white and like a whole thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like it's just yeah, it's just very well done. Christina, what's your pick?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pulling back from something that is just like really well done, subtle in some ways, but also very obvious in others. Just like good quality, like not just like art, just like movie as art. I wanna pull it back a little bit. I wanna talk about birds of prey.
1: Superheroes. <laughs> I think Steph
0: gave a little yeah, let's talk about superheroes. And I think Steph gave a little preview. what I was gonna talk about I was gonna give a little background about my feelings on Harley Quinn in the overall DC Batman universe but I feel like we've spent a lot of time on other things so I will not that I feel so strongly about Harley Quinn I love her but she's very difficult to get right Mm. and I think inherently when men are writing her that's that's one of the big problems because Harley Quinn is not just impressive with regards to or it's not just interesting with regards to who she is, but also how other people perceive her. Like her, how people perceive her is important to the story. And when a man writes a universe with Harley Quinn in it, people talk about her in a way that is very derogatory and very shitty. And what I loved about Birds of Prey, the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, is that not only does she become her own full character, I think she's given some of the... Respect is not necessarily the quite word, quite the right word, because in other versions, she's definitely someone that's considered more horrifying and more, and more terrifying in her own right. But I think you finally get a way to see how people see her outside of the Joker, and I think that that's super important. As an as well. individual, as an individual. So when we talk about Suicide Squad and Margot Robbie in the first iteration of Harley Quinn, Woof. I didn't, I didn't like it. I thought she was very funny. I liked her as Harley Quinn, but I, I'll never get over the collar that said joker and the daddy's little monster shirt like that put me off so immediately and the underwear and the movie and then basically an underwear yeah like her whole costume put me off so greatly and it was one of those things where i couldn't really like the movie because that even though i love that she's in like her own locked cage in a prison reading a romance book (laughs) and drinking out of a teacup like i love that but she, it's it's so insulting, honestly, that outfit. she It's entirely defined by the Joker. And then they bust out the Jared Leto Joker, and he's so gross, and it's so bad. But the second, the second Birds of Prey opens, you see her in that glorious, glorious, clear, like, nylon jacket with the big, ridiculous confetti arms and the shorts and her whole vibe and she's her she's going after the love of her life in that moment which is the bacon egg and cheese sandwich and there's this amazing thing if you look it up that the re the like the love story in birds of prey is her and the bacon egg and cheese sandwich (laughs) because if you look at it the bacon egg and cheese Takes the place that, like, a fridged woman would normally take. They like do the slow pan yeah. on it. It's described the way women are often described in like action movies. And it's the loss of the bacon, egg, and cheese that sets a lot of things into motion. So the bacon, egg, and cheese is essentially that like throwaway love interest. And I thought that was hilarious. And so I think that's the kind of thing this movie does so well. That costume immediately felt so much better and so much more. I knew I was going to like this version of Harley Quinn because of the ridiculous thing she was wearing. And also, if you look up the reviews, a lot of people are like, a lot of dudes are like, why does she look so ugly in this movie? Like, she looks hideous. It's the same actress. It's still Margot Robbie. She looks the exact same. She's just not dressing for you anymore. I would wear She's all dressing of her outfits for herself. Every outfit she has in this is i to this day. Okay, so Torrid was selling a version of that jacket, Oof. but it was hideous, oh. unsurprisingly, because they made the jacket part out of like a gray fleece. Oh. What? It looks so stupid. The point of the jacket is that it's clear, like that's what makes it gorgeous. Anyway, that's not the point. This movie is great. It's clearly Clearly, so many women are involved with this movie, not just because of Harley Quinn, but because of the rest of the Birds of Prey cast. Journey, Smollett in particular, she plays Black Canary in this, and just her character is so interesting and is so well done. And every single character that gets introduced in this movie, it's so good. I actually wish they had not called this a Birds of Prey movie. I think they should have just called it The Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn, And then done a later on Birds of Prey movie where all of the Birds of Prey are introduced in this Mm -hmm. one. And then their first full movie is them coming together the way that they did at the end of Birds of Prey. Because I'm interested and invested in every single one of them. I, who is, oh God, what's her name? She plays the arrow shooter. Ah, hold on. I'm looking this up. The Huntress. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: The Huntress comes up and I was like, first of all, every single woman in this is very attractive. (laughs) And they're all very attractive because they are all so badass in their own individual way. Black Canary is attractive, very different than the Huntress is attractive. But the Huntress comes up and I'm immediately invested in her as a character. And I think that's the case for just everything that's done in this movie. I am interested in every single character. I think their clothing tells the perfect story of who they are. And I think that that's something that you get in a movie directed by a woman, because I think there's an acknowledgement of how important the clothing is to the story and what it's telling. I think the way each character is written, like even the fact that their main, their main villain in some ways is so outlandish and ridiculous. And it feels like he's written very one note and that just felt good in a movie like this. (laughs) It felt good to have fully formed, fully written women And then to have fucking Ian McGregor doing whatever the hell it was he was doing in that movie. So I, I love it for that. I am, I don't think I can watch the next suicide squad because it looks like a backwards portrayal of Harley Quinn, even though what's hilarious is that a lot of the people that were insulting the way Harley Quinn is presented in the second movie are loving the way that Harley Quinn is presented in the third movie. And it's one of those things where people were like, on one hand, she's nerfed, like she's not as interesting as she was in her own movie. But two, the things that they're complimenting are the things Margot Robbie added into the character in the Harley Quinn movie. So like, you'll praise it when a man is doing it because he'll do it for you as another man watching the show. But when a woman is doing it for herself, you don't understand it. And so you think it's bad. And the fact that this movie, All Things Considered, is like, honestly, it was considered a flop. Like, it's not considered having done very well. It didn't make a lot of money. Um, It was right before COVID, if I remember correctly. I think this was, like, the last movie we saw in theaters. Um, I like that
1: a flop of just, like, $200 million. (laughs) Yeah. It still made a
0: ton of money. But it's one of those things where, again, I, I feel... I hope we still get a Birds of Prey something. Yeah. But I worry we won't because of the way this movie performed. And it just... There's so many great stories about women with women characters. Some that aren't even from the point of view of women necessarily, but that do so poorly because of men. And I think of this and I think of Ghostbusters, Mm -hmm. the one with Leslie Jones and Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon. Like the fact that these things show women in a more interesting light than men ever portray them like these women are flawed they're crazy they're not there for your entertainment they are weird and they are funny and they are gross sometimes and they're everything that you want and then they don't it doesn't perform well and now we're gonna get a Ghostbusters. it's key to know that
2: this is only ever in genres that are very male heavy or like there's a gross male yes. audience it's the same with sci-fi it's the same with like actually maybe fantasy not so much but like sci-fi for sure it's the same with like the horror yeah. genre action all of that if you think about like the male nerds of those like those fan bases it's ter- like it's the same thing with candy like those people that didn't like it that male horror fan base it's the same it's the same with star wars the male like, yeah. Star Wars fan base about certain things in Star Wars are, like, it's gross. It's disgusting. <laughs>
0: I hate them. <laughs> and it's... It, Yo, know, they're the fucking worst. And that's how you get things where they go... Like, let's be honest. The male fan base of Star Wars is really what ruined the most recent trilogy. Yeah. It's not Rian Johnson, barely even J.J. Abrams, even though I hate him. It's really their reaction to everything. But the fact that they went, okay, well, we'll change it, but we'll throw the women who watch it a bone and we'll make Kylo and Ren get together. No. No, you misunderstood the point. You did not get the assignment. So anyway, I'm mad about everything. I'm mad about this. The only thing I would change about Birds of Prey, the only thing that I think... I feel like it didn't understand, but I get it as necessary for what is almost like an origin story, is that Harley Quinn, when she is written well, and when she's part of the Batman universe, is someone people are terrified of. Even in her own right, they think she is absolutely deranged and will do absolutely anything that comes to her mind, and she will not think twice about it, so if she decides that you're dead... You're dead. And if she decides she wants to play with your body, that's what's going to happen. And if she decides one week to betray you and fight for the good side and fall in love with poison ivy, that's what's about to happen. She's a terrifying creature. And I think in this one, maybe even a little bit because of the way Harley is set up in the first one, I feel like she's not given the terror that she deserves. And I would have loved to see that a little bit more. Um, I always go back to, if you play video games, anybody who's listening, if you play Arkham Asylum, the first video game, and if you played Arkham City, the next one, it also had that same problem, where in the first one, Harley Quinn is, everyone is terrified of her. You hear like non-playable characters talk about her and they're like, don't do anything because it's not even the Joker I'm afraid of, it's Harley Quinn. But in the next one, I guess other people were writing it because all of the background chatter is about Let's be honest, it's about wanting to fuck her. It's about not thinking she's that scary. It's about what I would do if the Joker wasn't there. And it's like a complete 180 on how she's perceived. And so I love a situation where Harley Quinn is given the the like horror she deserves in her own right as someone who used to be a psychiatrist <laughs> and then turned out to be absolutely deranged because she felt
1: like it. Wasn't she like dropped into a pot of acid and that like yeah? Up?
0: The, so the story in the movie is that she so she falls in love with the Joker because she's his psychiatrist, which is pretty common with all canon things. Um, but then in the movie, they have her drop into the acid of her own free will, essentially. Be, to make her strong the way that the Joker is. Because mm. it's his, it, the Joker has a, like an acid or a serum, depends on which one you're reading or talking about, that turns other people like him. Um, There's a lot of different versions of Harley Quinn. The one that I prefer the most is the one where there's no, she doesn't need it. She doesn't need the acid. She makes the choice in talking to the Joker that she likes Uh, she likes like she almost to a certain extent agrees with his mindset she likes how free he is and so she makes the willing choice to sort of follow him but there's always the thread that like she's not there because she doesn't have a choice she's there because she wants to be there harley quinn decided long ago that she's hitching her horse to the joker because he's gonna cause maximum chaos and if she wants she'll leave you
2: know what's really interesting that i think about it the batman universe essentially has like all its like main female villains are the monstrous
0: feminine are they not (laughs) yeah every single but the batman universe has that problem with every single female character there are no female characters that are not aggressively feminine the closest that comes to is batwoman and I think that was a specific... Because Batwoman was initially made in response to people thinking that Batman was gay and Robin was his boyfriend. So they created Batwoman to be the most feminine Batwife ever. Like, all of her weapons are, like, a compact but she's also, lipstick tube. Like, very
2: totally Yeah, but totally she's also, spies. like, the daughter of, like, the police...
0: No, that's Batgirl. Oh, Batgirl. oh shit. That's Barbara okay, Gordon. <laughs> yeah, Batgirl... So Batgirl also... At, Batgirl in her initial one is also very, like, feminine style, but she's portrayed now more as, like, a young girl who's a little bit more tomboyish, and she has that... There's that one great version of her where she's got, like, yellow Doc Martens. She looks amazing. Mm -hmm. Batgirl, then, because of fridging and stupid nonsense, ultimately gets handicapped. I think it's from the Joker or from someone else. I think the Joker does it to her. He handicaps her, paralyzes her, puts her in the wheelchair, And then she becomes Oracle, who stays behind a desk and watches everything and talks to Batman in his ear to tell him where to go. Batwoman was his wife originally. But then as time went on and people were like, this is stupid and no one likes her. She becomes this like massive lesbian icon, which I think is amazing. (laughs) And that's where you get the Batwoman that we have today. Interesting. But every Batwoman, every Bat universe female is aggressively feminine. Uh, It's only very recently that some of them have become less so. But even when you look at Harley Quinn um, and Poison Ivy as, like, a couple, it's two fems. They're having a great time. Yeah, it's
2: just, like, it's just, like, interesting to see, like, how, like, even, I would say even in, like, the cartoon that I watched, like, they were aggressively sexualized. Like, it was, like, there was, like, definitely... Yeah, like there was definitely like a vibe to them that you're like, mm, this seems like a very man way
0: of looking at this. But that's Birds of Prey. I don't think there's too much more that needs to be said. It. I think if you haven't watched it, you should. It's great. But I'm probably not going to watch the rest of Suicide Squad. Um, But that is our female gaze episode. Uh, If you have any great examples of female gaze or honestly, any interesting examples you think of male gaze that would have been served much better (laughs) by having a woman involved somehow, uh, you can tweet at us uh, at at eatscast on Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, We also are on Pinterest at everyone and their sister pod. Uh, And thanks so much for joining this week. We'll be back next week with something. Maybe it'll be an entire Candyman review episode because clearly We have the we have enough to say to do a full episode about that. Or it will be Squid Game, which we're obsessed with.
1: Squid Game took over.
0: It really did, man. Everybody went from sex education season three to Squid Game in the span of 10 minutes. Sex Education was was also good. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, so we'll you'll hear from us again soon. We won't hear from you. Uh, but thanks so much for listening. Bye bye. Bye.
1: Jazz for the song, i need a snack do you what are you gonna mm-hmm. eat what are you gonna eat for a snack i don't know i don't know i don't know
2: i bought some like honey honey lavender ice cream oh oh